Hey, soccer fans. Welcome back to Feed the Fire, a Chicago Fire podcast, and a happy Labor Day to everyone. It's evening now, Monday, September 4th. The cicadas are still buzzing. Had a great day at the pool with the family, and I'd almost almost forgotten just how terrible the Chicago Fire have played this last week. Uh, They have lost back-to-back games to Vancouver and D.C., losing 7-1 on aggregate, and they really are approaching rock bottom. In today's episode, we're going to look at the stats of each of these games, kind of talk about some recurring themes and what the stats suggest. And that's kind of a new little segment I'm I'm trying out here. We're going to do a candid film session. I am going to be watching the highlights from the DC United game. I mean, from Fire fans perspective, the lowlights maybe, but you know what MLS is calling the highlights of the match. I'm going to watch them for the first time. I'll give you my candid responses here. You can almost do it like, I don't know, a mystery science theater thing or a laugh tracks thing. If you want to cue it up along with me. And uh, also with the fire being off this upcoming weekend, mercifully, It's a great time to kind of review the league standings. So enjoy the intro music and come on back for all of that talk and more. Once again, Fire fans, welcome back to the Feed the Fire podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and it's episode 51. And unfortunately, as we have talked about in the prior 50 episodes, it's not anything great. The Chicago Fire lost to the Vancouver Whitecaps last weekend, uh, one nothing. And we are going to talk quickly about the statistics and some things that stood out in this game. First off, let me issue a, a kind of a brief retraction here. In doing the preview episode, I got so caught up in Vancouver's passing and crossing numbers uh, that I completely forgot that Julian Gressel had actually been transferred from Vancouver to the Columbus crew this summer. Not that the, the Whitecaps needed him there against the fire. Imagine if he would have been there as another attacking option, what the score line could have looked like. So Vancouver again wins this game 1-0 thanks to Brian White's goal in the 19th minute. And again, this goal shows a complete breakdown of the team's defense here. There's no pressure by anyone in the midfield on the initial pass that comes in. Uh, Gall just runs right behind Jonathan Dean and Pineda can't shift over in time. He finds himself marking space. Do I try to block the pass? Do I step Uh, over to Ryan Gauld, and he just kind of gets caught right in the middle of it. Uh, Gauld plays a a good low hard pass just past Chris Brady, and Brian White makes his run in front of Carlos Tehran and is just able to tap Gauld's pass over the line before Brady can recover. Now, Brady does really try to make a pretty good save on it, but unfortunately the ball does cross the line. It was very close. You had the assistant referee signal that it was a goal, and uh, VAR confirmed it so real real kind of a tough break for Chris Brady they're doing everything that he can to keep the ball out of the back of the net you know putting in a much better effort than let's say the entire rest of his team now again this was a complete breakdown of a number of defensive elements by the Chicago Fire that led to this goal but I do have to be critical of Jonathan Dean in this sense now I I have been critical of many other defenders. I have praised Jonathan Dean, maybe not for being like, you know, some all-star top caliber MLS defender, but being a solid and competent defender, doing what the team asked him to do. You know, you don't bring a guy 
who's been playing three years in USL and then prior to that in college into the MLS to say, okay, you are going to be the guy now. We are going to lock this position down, right? No, you either develop that, you either sign them abroad, from abroad, things of that nature. It's it's really hard to find top, top-tier talent. You know, maybe not hard to find it in USL, but considering he had been playing there for a few years, um, he should have been snatched up by another team. But the Fire were desperate for outside backs, and they asked Jonathan Dean to come in and just do a solid job. And he has been doing that for the most part this season, except on this play, he gets caught ball-watching. He has... Uh, Ryan Gauld over his over his left shoulder, and he is about three or four yards away from him. And Dean, actually, if you look at the replay, he gives the check over his left shoulder and sees Gauld there. And then he turns back to the ball to look to see if the ball is going to be played. And as he turns back to the ball, that's when Gauld makes the run behind him. So this is just some really poor defending by Jonathan Dean for getting his basics of knowing where his man is. Uh, and, and just like you see cornerbacks in the NFL, they're not staring at the quarterback. They're not watching the ball come out of the cornerback's hands. They're, they're marking their receiver, right? Jonathan Dean forgets all of that and gets, again, caught ball watching. The ball gets played right past him to golf. Um, additionally, this kind of influence, this kind of is an, a factor and a hint it intimates, I think that's the word I was looking for, and that influences, it intimates at the rest of the defense because no one is communicating with Jonathan Dean and telling him, hey, Gold's over your shoulder, like stick with him. Or Jonathan Dean's thinking, well, he's over my shoulder, like I'm playing a high line here. He's offside. Nope, you've got Tehran and Pineda back there keeping him, keeping a deeper line and keeping Gold onside. So there is no communication amongst all of the defenders at that point. And, and that way he didn't know where his mark or where his positioning was supposed to be. Now, is that on the center back? Is that on the captain? Is that on the goalkeeper? It's on the defense. However, the Chicago fire want to organize it. It didn't work out in this case. Here's the other problem that came about out of this play. We saw that the Chicago fire started with a three man back line. That means that you're your outside backs were playing more of a, a midfield than a wide midfield position, uh, having five men in the midfield, playing more of a 3-5-2 formation, right? Instead of their usual 4-2-3-1, where you have your outside backs traditionally, or their primary position is to be the defender first and then get forward and support the attack. Here, with a three-man back line, those outside backs, typically Navarro or Dean or Suke or Aceves, you're part of the offense first. So Dean is now playing a little bit out of position, especially on the left side. Uh, and he might not be as comfortable in that position. He might not know his defensive assignments or where he's supposed to be on the field. Again, not a good excuse from a professional player, but as a coach, Frank Klopas, as the interim manager, like you are not putting your team in a position to win here by trying this formation out. Additionally, you've tried it out a couple times throughout the season with disastrous results prior to that. I'm surprised that it's only one nothing. All right. As I mentioned, that three-man back line, Chihos, Pineda, Tehran, and you had Dumbia and Fetty Navarro as your defensive midfielders. So once again, you've got these five guys who are supposed to be kind of the center of your defense. And Klopas has done this against counterattacking teams like Vancouver. But again, it hasn't worked. It's supposed to clog up the midfield 
and prevent these teams from counterattacking you and having to play out wide. But Vancouver is great at playing out wide, and that's exactly where this ball went. Maybe not to the extent it went into the corner, but it was played wide around Jonathan Dean. So this was a terrible, terrible formational concept to use in this game, to use it all for the Chicago Fire. It was a breakdown on several levels by the coaching staff and the defense, and I think the Chicago Fire are fortunate that it was only a one nothing loss. Now, in this match, at least, Brian Gutierrez was a bit of a bright spot. He actually looked to shoot a little bit more. I think he ended up with four, maybe five shots on the night. Not high percentage chances, not quality opportunities, but the fact that Gutierrez is trying to get involved in the offense a little bit more rather than just getting the ball and shuttling it forward and then laying it off for someone else is something that I've been calling for and something that I'm happy to see and it really needs to be the next step in the development of his game. He can he can dribble, he can pass. Now he needs to start taking on defenders in 1v1 situations and getting good shots off. However, none of that actually turned into any sort of quality opportunity or a goal in this case. Now let's take a look here at some of the statistics and see if it matched up with your eye test. We have the Chicago Fire who actually won the possession battle about 53-54% here, which to me... You're the Chicago Fire. You 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 set up in this 3-5-2, so you want a little bit more possession. But it's more the way the Fire played it. It's more a defensive adjustment to the opposition. And Vancouver wants to counterattack, and, and still the Fire only had 53% possession. But what did they do with that? Not much. Because even though they had a, a pretty good passing day, 522 passes, 85% passing accuracy, we know that that always comes in their own half or the middle third of the field. They did get 14 shots off, but I think these were just desperate shots, guys. Only three went on goal, resulting in three saves from the Vancouver keeper. Now, this was something I mentioned in the preview. Pepper the keeper, come out strong like you did uh, against Orlando City, and then maybe you'll create some opportunities or get a lucky goal or he'll spill it or something. But the fire did not do that. They were not the aggressors despite being at home during this first half. Uh, or I'm sorry, not against Orlando City, against L.A. in the prior match. That's what I meant. Uh, Chicago also had four corners, 23 crosses. They were playing a lot of balls into the box. That's what you get when you start Kai Kamara up top. You are lobbing balls in, seeing if he can't get ahead on it or make something happen. But again, this hasn't been anything that's worked for the Chicago Fire, but they don't have the players to try anything different, and the coaches certainly don't have the wherewithal to try anything different or come up with anything different. No offsides, which again, Kai Kamara isn't the guy who's going to stretch the lines and make these diagonal runs and slashing runs. He's going to be your target striker. So that doesn't surprise me. I would have liked to see Kutsias get into this game a lot earlier and maybe try to create something, but not was not the case. Uh, they did win their duels, 49 to 38. They won their tackles, 6 to 5. Chris Brady comes up with four saves. Not surprised that he's making a lot of saves this, this season. What did surprise me was that Vancouver actually had 28 clearances to the Fire's 10 because that means the Fire were getting balls into dangerous areas and, and Vancouver was just having to clear it out. But again, they're getting it into dangerous areas, but they're not completing passes or creating any sort of opportunity in those areas. Uh, 13 fouls committed by the Fire. No cards. No cards against the Fire. One yellow went to Vancouver in this match. So the Fire played kind of clean. But here's the thing, like I was saying, the Fire weren't creating quality opportunities, which they haven't been 
all season. And what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, that is the Chicago Fire season in a nutshell here because they have changed formations. They have uh, used different strikers. They've done all these things. But but what it comes down to is they're just trying to lob balls into Kai Kamara or they're trying to get the ball to Gutierrez to maybe something he can create, right? Nothing new. They don't know how to overlap and overload in in the channels or in the corners. They, they don't know how to have a late running, you know, third or fourth man into the box, right? We've seen it work on very few occasions with Pineda making a run late run into the box when the fire can sustain some possession. Also on free kicks, same thing, right? Shakiri lobs one to Chihos on the back post who tries to knock it back in front, right? It's so predictable every time. And the fire have not been able to convert any opportunities with it. I'm actually kind of surprised that their expected goals in this match was 1.3, but their highest percentage chance of scoring was Kai Kamara in the 10th minute. His right-footed shot had a 27% chance of going in. Everything else after that was, you know, not even eight, 9% chance if that, despite having 14 shots and only three on target. So against Vancouver, the Chicago fire came out flat had to absorb the pressure, gave up the goal, and then we're just kind of throwing balls and throwing numbers forward and all to no avail. No sustainable offense. Now, D.C., I was going to say, as bad as the Vancouver game was, let's transition now to the D.C. recap. Let's get our, our heads in this space, everybody. Get ready. I hope you have a drink with you. If you don't have a drink, I hope you're sitting down because we're going to kind of recap a little of this D.C. match here. All the bad from the Vancouver game became that much worse in the Fires' four nothing loss to DC. We have we saw Benteke with two goals, uh, DiPietro with a goal, and Tehran with an own goal, and it just really showed how bad the Fire were on the pitch, but also as a club. In fact, after this game, I started seeing some tweets. Uh, from a lot of regular fans and, and followers of the Chicago Fire about how there was a big argument in the locker room some weeks ago between Shakiri and Kamara, and it has divided the team. Now, is that true? Is this just rumor? I haven't heard it reported on. I would guess that the players wouldn't wouldn't speak of it. Maybe Kamara would. He's kind of gotten the reputation amongst the uh, around the MLS that he might not be the best locker room guy. That would explain why he's been on 10 teams in 14 seasons, right? But even if this is all just speculation, the play on the field really gives it a lot of credit. This team is completely disjointed. They have no ideas. They don't care to be seen with each other on the pitch. They don't care to play to and with each other on the pitch. Additionally, there's no leader on the team. How can you have a team leader when the team is divided into multiple factions? You know, we even saw it in the game, uh, I think it might have been the, the Orlando City game uh, most recently, where there's this big pushing and shoving match with Shakiri and everybody. You've got Mauricio Pineda on one side, the bench doesn't even get up. So they're not even going and supporting their teammate who's getting shoved around by half a dozen opposing players. So this, again, even if this is just speculation and rumor that there was a big dividing argument in the locker room, it's not hard for me to believe based on what I'm seeing. Furthermore, there's no leadership from anyone on this coaching staff. And that doesn't surprise me. One, knowing Klopas' history. Two, you've got C.J. Brown and Zach Thornton, who are relatively new to Major League Soccer coaching. 
even though they've been around the game and have played in the league. But here's the other thing. You've got the front office who brings in two more assistant coaches, Klopas's buddies from Greece, right? His recommended uh, hirings here who are probably going to take over as the head coach. So why, you know, CJ Brown and Zach Thornton, what are they going to step up and stick their neck out and try and, and try and get fired? They're just probably laying low until they can find another job, right? That would be, that would be what I would be doing. Again, I'm speculating, but from what I'm seeing, I don't think I'm so far off base. I would be with my head down just saying, look, I'm just going to get by. I'm not going to cause waves because I don't want it to affect my, my next job interview and my next employer. I don't want to give them a bad, you know, any sort of thing that they can uh, say is my fault or that I come with a bad rap. So you've got five assistant coaches. You've got your kind of veteran leader in Kamara and your DP highest played supposed to be your star, Jardin Shakiri. You've got your young, homegrown, supposed to kind of be your up-and-coming leader in Brian Gutierrez. You've got five assistant coaches on the bench and not a leader among them. Your front office is, by all intents and purposes, a lame duck front office because Heights and Pelser, by all accounts, aren't going to be in these same positions next year as sporting director and general manager. So, yeah, there is no leadership. There is no cohesiveness the fire are approaching rock bottom. Anyway, here's the statistical recap of DC United. It was about 50-50 on possession. Fire had 13 shots, but only two on goal. Uh, not a good night for progressive passes or getting the ball into the attacking zone. 85% passing on 439 passes. Five corners, 23 crosses. Again, just whipping balls in and seeing maybe if Kai can get on the end of one of them. 49 duels won. Uh, let's see, one only one save by Brady. Yeah, you know, when four goals go in, he's not saving many of them. But again, where are these goals being scored from, right? It's not like, you know, the, he's he's not tracking a shot from 20 yards out or he's spilling a ball to an onrushing attacker who gets an easy tap in off of his, off of his spill or his holler, right? <laughs> these are just the defense letting the opposing team come into the box and have shots on him. So not much Brady can do. And he's been solid to this point. Uh, nine clearances by the fire, 13 fouls, and one yellow card. The fire only generated 1.2 expected goals. Their best chance came in the 86th minute, a Chihos header that was given a 22% chance. So, again, the fire aren't generating anything uh, as far as consistent offense, opportunities, or whatever. And mentally, they have completely fallen apart. I, I, I titled this episode Approaching Rock Bottom or at least that's the working title when I'm recording it, because I think this is still going to get worse. I think that the fire are going to continue their fall down the standings because they have shown that they can do nothing right. And when we look at the conference standings in the second half, we'll talk about that a little bit further. But now that we've reached the halfway point of the show, we're going to pause for our sponsor break. And I want to remind everyone that Feed the Fire is brought to you by Skira Icelandic Spring Water, available at your local 7-Eleven. Icelandic for clear, Skira water comes from a spring in a government-protected nature preserve in Iceland with naturally low mineral content. This isn't your average water. Clearly, pun intended, it's one of the best. And I could have definitely used a bottle of Skira today out at the pool for three hours with the family. I think if you're watching on YouTube, you can kind of see a little of the redness around my face. It's kind of really throwing off the green screen behind me, right? Uh, anyway, with our sponsor break also comes our segment from our special guest, John Donovan. And so on YouTube, 
uh, we will pause briefly. So make sure if you're watching on YouTube, you also go follow the show on Spotify so you can hear all of John's segments and all of our podcast only content. And with that, take it away, John. Nick, John Donovan here talking about the Chicago Fire and the MLS. Nick, this is a tough podcast to do. The Fire are awful. The play last night in the game against DC, which they lost four to nothing, was perhaps the worst game I've ever seen the Fire play. Um, from the starting forwards including Gutierrez, including uh, Herbers, including Selassie, including uh, Kamara. They were just not in the same game. It it literally, Klopas, for some reason, put Selassie over on the left side, and he's not comfortable over there. Gutierrez had a lot of opportunities, but the kid just can't put him away. I I don't know about his future. I'm really wondering. After this game... I don't have anything positive to say about the squad at all. I mean, they took, uh, they started Federico Navarro in the middle with Jimenez. Jimenez did have a decent game, but Federico Navarro was just, I don't know, his passing was off. He's always got issues with yellow cards. He got a very bad yellow card at the 28th minute, and Klopas had to pull him out because he would, he's the type of player that would have dragged into another yellow card, which would have been a red card. So, you know, the squad is just not there. I, If I was Joe Monsueto, I mean, you have to give C.J. Brown a chance without this Greek coach looking over his shoulder. I would ask Klopas to walk away from the squad and let C.J. Brown finish off the season because it is just not happening. And I don't think it's fair to this, the ticket holders and the people that love the game of soccer to go down and watch what's happening on the field. It's just not, it's not clicking. Um, what's good about soccer this weekend is my grandson, who was an eight-year-old, his team, uh, sort of a Romanian squad, won the Evanston Cup. That was good soccer, good techniques, good, good basic skills. But the fire, you know, it's a sad case. They've got two DPs that one is making $8.2 million and they're playing him out of position and he's just not accepting it. That's Shakiri, And their other uh, young DP, which is Jairo Torres, is, uh, came up hurt last year, had a bad hip. Uh, he played for Atlas. I guess he played well down there, but he hasn't had a goal. He looks lost on the field. He's an angry player. Um, and you go back to the to the defense, it was a disaster last night. Suket is 31 years old, and he's just not doesn't have the speed to stay up with these young guys. He got the second goal was a Suket just didn't he couldn't catch the guy. Um, he's playing out of his position often. Tehran, who I really liked at the opening of the of the season, big, strong, fast, dominant player. He was hurt about the 16th game in the season. He laid off for about a month. And why they're playing him, I have no idea. He's lost his confidence. His passing is atrocious. I mean, the, the goal, the second goal that was scored was an own goal off of Tehran, and it was one of the most unusual plays I've ever seen. He, the, the, the offensive guy had beaten him. He was going to score, so Tehran pulls him down, and somehow or another, he, with his back foot, 
drags the ball into the goal. So it was either a penalty kick or a goal. The referee decided to call it an own goal. And one of Taran's real strengths is his side passing in. Well, he passed the ball in last night right after this uh, own goal, and he forgot to throw the ball. The ball went like two inches into the goal, so into the field. So the guy, why he's playing when you got a talented guy on the bench who's smart from Dartmouth Olmsburg, who played very well, who hasn't even got a breath of playing time this year, is just beyond me. I mean, we have seen the Klopas flop two times here in Chicago, but we keep going back and doing the same thing. You know, there's an old adage about the guy that drinks too much and he changes bar, a bar and thinks he'll be able to control his drinking. No, 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 no. That's what we're trying to do with Klopas. We think he's smart. We think he's he's got the teams back. He's rah-rah. He's a bad coach. Montreal dumped him quickly, and we keep hiring him back here. He, I'm sure he's a great guy, but he just doesn't. He doesn't have the coaching skill that, that's necessary in today's MLS uh, play. So, you know, it's, it's the season, in my opinion, the Fire are not going to make the playoffs, which is a shame when you're in a big city, uh, a sports capital. The Blackhawks are coming back with this great player. Um, so that's going to be an exciting squad. We'll have to see how the Bears do this year. But the Fire, you know, that they, they just, they should almost close down for a year and come back like Los Angeles. The team is not with it. They've got to bring in a new general manager. Bring in, let that general manager bring in an MLS coach that has success, born in this in this country, appreciates the college talent that comes out of our college ranks, gives everybody a break on this squad, and has has success. I, although he wasn't born here, I would love to see them bring in the uh, Orlando coach. He's been tremendous throughout his time in the MLS. Um, he uh, he would bring this team around, make him GM and coach, and let him rock and roll with uh, with the talent that he's got. He's playing this big striker from uh, Creighton. The kid is just lights out good McGuire right now. So the fire, Nick, will have to wait for next year. It's just not there. It just startles me that, you know, you look at other DPs that are scoring like Ben Teke, really a dominant player. We got Shakiri, who's making $8.2 million, who has done nothing. And our second DP, Jairo Torres, who's making $1.4 million. He's 21 years old, and he has been a disaster. He came up injured, and he's angry. He's just not playing well on the field. Carlos Terran, who I thought had a pretty good season going, got hurt, should not be playing right now, Nick. So... The fire are tough to watch. We've got, I think, eight more games to go. Um, and we'll just see how it goes. Uh, next year will be like a, a new team, I hope. So have a good night, Nick. Say hi to Mike. Um, we'll talk to you all next week. All right, John. Thank you so much, as always, for contributing to the show, for following along. And I, I got to imagine doing your recordings probably aren't easy when the fire are as embarrassing as they have been. I know that's how I feel when I do my recordings, but we appreciate you doing it week in and week out for us. And again, our halftime break brought to you by Skira, Icelandic spring water available at your local 7-Eleven. 
Now, what I wanted to do in the second half of the show, I said, was a film study here of the Chicago Fire against DC United. Uh, so I, I didn't watch this match. I will be honest with all of you here. I didn't watch the second half of the Vancouver game live, and I didn't watch any of the DC United game. Uh, as I tweeted out against Vancouver, I made the choice to turn the game off and then watch an episode of Ahsoka with my wife. I think I made the right call. I think that was much better time spent than actually watching the Chicago Fire's futile attempts to equalize against Vancouver. I did go back. I watched the second half uh, of the game later. Nothing really jumped out at me, as I would have mentioned it in, in the recap here. Um, but that's where it's come for me as a Fire fan, everybody. Like, you know, when your team plays, you need to be in front of the TV or you need to be glued to your phone or social media, something keeping updates, right? That's how most people are. And that's how I've been up until this week as a Fire fan. If I miss the game, so what? And I'm not the kind of guy that likes to watch sports on replay because the, it, it's ended, right? There's a score out there. There are recaps. There are highlights. And if you wait long enough, you can get some of those, you know, 90 and 30 or 90 and 15 summaries where they, they cut all the dead time out and you get, you get a full games match in like 15, 30 minutes. So it's hard for me to watch replays. That's why I'm taking the time now with you all here. And I'm going to go ahead and we're going to go to MLSsoccer.com. We're going to find the highlights of DC United versus Chicago at six minutes and 55 seconds or so. And I will give you my candid thoughts on what is going on here. And we're going to go ahead. If you want to watch it with me and kind of do like a, a laugh tracks MST 3000 thing, we can go ahead and do that here and play. So here we go. Here's the kick off. All right, let's see how they're doing it. We get the first play. Okay, they're letting the kickoff play go a little bit. That means something's coming up. Usually they uh, they cut that right away. All right, we're cut to the eighth minute now. DC here with an opportunity. Turnover in the midfield, and they turn, and it's a ball over the top. Um, oh, yeah, that's that's Ben Teke, who just embarrasses Rafa Chijos. First of all, no counter-pressing in the midfield. They turn the ball over and just stare at it. So that's mistake number one. Mistake number two is that you've got Chihos defending Benteke 1v1. I'm going to I'm gonna pause it here for a second because this is ridiculous. The fact that this is your – I don't know if he's still the captain anymore, right? But this is your center back. This is your best defender. This is a guy you brought in from Europe to shore up the back line, and he's going to let Christian Benteke just take one touch and cut it back? Like, that's – this is absolutely embarrassing. I'm going to rewind this again and see. He gets behind him. He brings the ball down, two touches, and three just passes it to the back of the net. Chris Brady has no chance. Chihos has his head down. For Chihos needs to go buy Chris Brady like a steak dinner someplace because that's just embarrassing defending, man. I've seen better from a kid's U8 team that I'm coaching. This That was terrible. That was absolutely terrible. Jumping ahead to the 14th minute here, I think we're going to get another DC goal. Um, lazy defending by the fire once again. Benteke runs right behind um, Chihos. Was that Suke that comes comes across and clears it? Yep, into the back of their own net. I hope he saw the offside flag go up because he just cleared it into their own net. That is ridiculous. All right, let's see where the offside was because you've got the header from Benteke. Okay, the ball back. I think that's Assad. Um, back to Benteke, and Benteke is offside. So that is fine there. 
But yeah, Suke comes in. He better have seen that offside flag because that's a boneheaded play otherwise. Now we're in the 20th minute. Oh my God. The exact same thing. Turnover in the midfield, long ball immediately to Benteke. The Chicago Fire have seen DC United do the same play now at least three times in the first 20 minutes, and they still can't figure out how to make the adjustment. This is maddening as a fan. And that was absolutely ball over the top to Benteke, who splits the defense. Once again, uh, center backs have no communication. Then they back off of Benteke, who's allowed to play it right through uh, Di Pietro there. Let's see, who's supposed to be marking him? Is that Fetty Navarro gets caught ball watching? And who's on the backside? Suke doesn't pick up the runner. A total breakdown by the defense. And it is now 2-0 to nothing, uh, to, um, to DC. And look at that. Benteke even juggles the ball. He gets three or four touches juggling it. And the fire can't body him up. Was that Tehran that also just doesn't know where he's running? Like, Tehran would make a horrible horrible defensive back in the NFL because he don't know how to play the angles. He doesn't know how to run to the angles. Now here in the 37th, 38th minute, Haile Selassie with a decent opportunity, turns the ball over, goes straight at goal, works it back around Herbers to Kamara, turns and rips. Yep, this was this was a really good counterattack by the Chicago Fire. I like how Selassie goes straight to goal, and then when he realizes DC gets numbers back, he's got to pull it back. So let me pause it here because that's an important thing that I've got to tell to the Chicago Fire defense here, right? No one's hustling to get back. DC hustled to get back on this one, and it forced the, the attacker to pull the ball back. That's I mean, that's the, the basis of what you're taught. That's soccer 101. If, there's, if you've got more players, you go forward. If they have more players in front of you, then you can bring in the attack, pull it back, and recycle it around, right? That's, that's soccer 101. Now, you can deviate from that if you're good enough, right? But... DC hustles back, gets into position. Selassie's got to pull it back, and they work it around. Now, the Fire still do get a good shot off out of it, um, but why aren't the Fire – don't the Fire realize that? Like, these hustle plays add up. All right, let's 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 hit play again. We're in the 38th minute. Um, moving forward to the 40th minute here on the replay. Another turnover in the midfield, a couple 50-50 balls. DC comes up with it, and what happens? Dribbles forward right to Benteke, and then Benteke lays it off for, uh, is that Assad? And Tehran shoves him in the back, goes down. And while he is falling down, Tehran is trying to kick the ball with his right foot as he's falling. And then it goes off of his left foot and into the back of the net. This might be, like, I, I don't know if there's like a bottom, like if ES, ESPN still does like they're not top 10, this might be they're not top 10 because... Tehran blatantly commits a penalty. That is, there's no doubt that that's a penalty in my mind for shoving an attacker in, in the back. He's actually, you know, and I saw someone put this on Twitter, and now that I'm watching it, I agree 100%. Tehran is lucky he scored the own goal because that would have been a red card dog so and a PK given up. Just ridiculous. Now we were in stoppage time in the first half now. Did Gaston Jimenez take a free kick? Gastoni Menace took a free kick. What is going on here? The crazy thing is he almost scored it. That was probably one of the better misses that I've seen this fire team make. Why is Gastoni Menace taking free kicks though? Oh my goodness. Moving on to the 58th minute here. And once again, the Chicago fire turned the ball over in midfield and the DC United player plays it directly to Christian Benteke and Benteke dribbles it into the box 
thankfully there's an offside flag there. Otherwise that would have been four, nothing in the 58th minute. Um, yeah. Benteke is offside. I'll give Tehran a little bit of credit there for stepping up and pulling him offside. I mean, nobody is within five or six yards of Benteke. So thank God Tehran made a real quick movement and stepped up. Oh, by the way, I just realized that Alex Bono is playing goalie for DC United. The guy who, who just got embarrassed out of TFC couldn't get by a start as bad as they've been. The fire can't score on Alex Bono. That's ridiculous. Mike, Jay, if you guys are listening, my, my resident Toronto fans, dude, Chicago should be scoring against Alex Bono, right? All right, to the 75th minute we go. Corner kick comes in. Uh, fire redirect it. Not, not a bad play. Um, but again, I hate near post corners. Someone needs to tell Jaredon Shakiri stop playing the ball to the near post. Well, wait, that wasn't even a fire player that redirected it. It hit a DC United defender. Yep, fire's best opportunity was an almost own goal. Fantastic, fantastic. Here we are in the 77th, and we have is that Gutierrez uh, uh, who misses? Nope, it's Gaston Jimenez getting mixing it up in the box and putting it wide. I don't know how professionals can't put a ball on frame from eight yards out. Over now to stoppage time. We're in in the 91st minute. Um, Chicago almost commits a foul or, or does commit a foul, but the referee plays advantage. The entire defense stops waiting for a whistle for the foul, and the ball ends up getting played back into a wide-open Benteke. The only person marking Christian Benteke on that play was the right post. And, of course, Benteke is just going to pass that right. Again, look, D.C. United is not doing anything difficult here. Long balls over the top, just looking for it's just looking for Benteke or anyone else. Yeah, this is this is just it, the Chicago Fire just forgot how to play soccer. Just forgot how to play soccer. And Benteke takes a bow to the fans to celebrate, and as he should. As he should. He had a really good game that night. Um, there's about you know 30 seconds left here on, on these highlights. I, I don't even why would I even watch them? Why do you even watch? I, I don't even watch the highlights, guys. That's how bad it is. I didn't want to watch the game. I didn't watch the game. I don't even want to finish out these last 30 seconds of highlights. Um, while I'm at it, let me throw in a little trivia thing. Kai Kamara got his 415th MLS appearance. I think he's now fourth all time in uh, in MLS appearances. And yeah, that's it. Alex Bono spikes it, gets the clean sheet, and uh, Chicago Fire absolutely terrible. Anyway, I hope you kind of liked a little bit of that live call. If you did, reach out to me. Let me know if you like my live thoughts because we can try to set up maybe a live watch along or so if we can figure out how to get the broadcast set up either through StreamYard or through YouTube if I can get the rights to do that. Um, I think that would be a lot of fun. and I think we'd have a lot of fun doing it. But, yeah, live, live and candid uh, reactions to the D.C. United lowlights from the Chicago Fire. So as we wrap up the show, let's take a look at the standings and see exactly what's going on around the league. Again, the Chicago Fire are off this weekend. Mercifully, the soccer gods have given us a bit of a break. Catch up on what else is going around the uh, around the league. Uh, so let's look at the Eastern Conference. Cincinnati still atop the Eastern Conference on 57 points. And guess what? There's the little X next to FC Cincinnati Shield. They have clinched a playoff spot. Congratulations to FC Cincinnati, their club, and their fans in the playoffs. They are a full 10 points ahead of second place New England Revolution and third place Orlando City. Uh, remember in MLS, the first tiebreaker is wins. 
but because New England and Orlando both have the same number of wins, then it goes to goal differential. New England with a slight edge, uh, they have a four more goal differential than Orlando. And Philadelphia, you know, Philly is sitting in the four spot. They've looked to be having a really bad season by recent standards, but they're still sitting in fourth place. Call it consistency, both with system and coaching and certain players. That's fantastic. And also, Philly, look at their home record, 9-1-2. and two. They're still playing very, very well at home. It's their away form that has slipped a little bit this year. Five, seven, and two. So Philly's gotta be want gotta be playing for no worse than the fourth spot. They want to host a home game in the playoffs. So again, in the East, Cincy, New England, Orlando, and the Union of Philadelphia, one through four. Then you have Columbus, Atlanta, Nashville, five, six, and seven, uh, 45, 42, and 40 points, respectively. There. I'm actually kind of surprised to see Nashville only on, on 40 points are only sitting in seventh place. But, you know, when you look at it, um, they've dropped some points as of late. Solid, solid draw against Miami. Um, but they, sh- I, but honestly, the more I look at it, I'm like, yeah, they're, they're probably right where they should be, right about on par with Atlanta and Columbus, and definitely a couple of games ahead of the rest of the Eastern Conference. Because if there was ever a season for cutting the playoffs – at six teams, this is it. Because I would love to see a battle for Columbus, Atlanta, Nashville to, to clinch that five and six spot. Because honestly, who's next? Montreal, D.C., Chicago, Charlotte, New York City, Red Bulls, Miami, and Toronto. None of those teams deserve to be in the playoffs. None of the teams from eight and down deserve to be in the playoffs. But MLS and all its wisdom said, let's put two-thirds of the teams in the playoffs. But again, as it stands right now, you've got Montreal and D.C. in the 8th and ninth spots. So again, the Chicago Fire just handing out playoff spots to other teams, and it's not going to get any easier. They do have Montreal as their next game after this bye weekend. Uh, so Montreal is going to do all they can to make sure that they keep the fire down. And hey, maybe this will be the Shinoso 04 revenge game, right? Looking in the Western Conference. And yes, I know I said Miami doesn't deserve to make the playoffs. Right now, they're the, they're the 14th team in the Eastern conference and their, their, their new club, their second half of the season club. Cause it's, they've got six new guys. They essentially signed a new club here, right? Um, they haven't done enough to get into the playoffs, right? So I'm, I'm confident behind that. If the season started today, yeah, they would be a playoff team, but it didn't. So they're not anyway, Western conference. We go top of the Western conference, St. Louis city, with 47 points, followed by Seattle, 41 points, uh, and from from two to six, really tight in the West. One through four: St. Louis, Seattle, LAFC, and RSL. Nice, nice to see RSL back there, man. You get the right ownership, you get the right coaching, and you get a couple of players. RSL could be a team for a few years here in the Western Conference. Uh, again, Seattle, LAFC, and RSL are at 41, 40, 40 points. Then the bottom half of the playoff picture here, Houston on 39 points, Vancouver on 38 points, Minnesota 36 points. So that's five, six, seven. And then in your play-in game, so to speak, San Jose and Dallas are an eight and nine with 36 and 34 points. On the outside looking in, Austin, Sporting Kansas City, Portland, the Galaxy, and the lowly Colorado Rapids, who are still making Toronto and Miami look good. 
Colorado, 19 points, minus 23 goal differential. I don't know what the record is. Let me look at what is the record for worst MLS goal differential. I would bet that um, that they are approaching it. I would bet that the Colorado Rapids at minus 23, uh, worst differential. Ooh, actually, no. Worst differential, according to Wikipedia, FC Cincinnati's 2019 season, negative 44, minus 44 goal differential. Actually, the, the Colorado Rapids wouldn't even be in the top 10 right now. Uh, the 10th is Chivas USA's 2014 season, minus 32. So Colorado would have to give up another minus nine on their goal differential in order to crack top 10 worst all time. Could be done. Could be done. There's enough games left. All right. With that, MLS and Chicago Fire fans, thank you for letting me get all of this off my chest and have a little catharsis here with you all before we get back into the work week. If you want to reach out and start a conversation with me and have have a little bit of a counseling session if we need it, you can email me glasshousesoccer at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at glasshousesoccer. Excuse me. Find me on X at glasshousesoccer. Soccer is spelled without the E. Thanks to character limitations there. Um, and hey, if they are going to bring in calling the, to Twitter, hey, give me a call on Twitter on X. Let's, uh, let's chat about the Chicago Fire stuff. With that, I want to thank you all. Thankfully, it's a bye weekend because I would feel terrible if I ended this show saying, let's go fire. But it's a bye. We'll see you next week with the Montreal Preview. Take care, everybody. Thank <laughs> you.